Good morning. My name is John, and I have the joy of serving on the City Youth Team. So this morning, I'm going to be reading from James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach should be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Good morning, city family. How are we feeling this morning? You look well, you look good. Today we are continuing in our journey through the book of James. As you all well know at this point, I am a practical gal. And so the condensed, power-packed, and practical wisdom that this book is full of makes James one of my favorites. As Pastor Matt mentioned, last week and this week really work hand in hand. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that for sure. But a quick recap. Through the book that bears his name, James really zeroes in on three aspects of a call to obedience. The motivation for obedience, the freedom of obedience, and the evidence of obedience. If Eugene Peterson was correct to write so much about the life of faith looking like a long obedience in the same direction, what does the evidence of our obedience look like? For James, it looked like being different from the world, recognizing the power of our words and the power of our tongue and how we treat the marginalized. Last week, we focused on our tendency towards favoritism and examined how we engage with, love, and do life with the poor and defenseless, how we engage the marginalized in our community. This week, the power of our words. Talking is a huge part of our daily lives. Now, the stats are a little bit all over the place when it comes to this, but here are some of the interesting ones that I found in multiple places. Studies show that the average person, now this is the average person, not the really talkative and not the really quiet, but the average among us use around 16,000 words per day. There has been studies out there and reports out there that have claimed that women talk way more than men in, in one given day, but that has since been debunked as not true. I'm assuming that was a team of men doing that study. <laughs> Patriarchy, am I right? But it has since been debunked as not true. The average talking speed is about 160 words per minute. 
The average person sends about, spends about 70% of their waking hours communicating in some form or another, and about 30% of that is spent talking. Last Sunday was our baptism, our annual baptism bash. It's a big pool party for our church, and it's just so much fun. And one of the most fun things that is there, especially for the kids, is the high dive. The kids, with all of their free spirits and their bravery, making their way up the ladder, walking to the edge, and leaping off into the water. It's so fun to watch this happen over and over again, and new little ones that have never done it before, making their way to the top and making their way to the edge and jumping off the adults, good observers as we are, like to cheer on from the ground. And apart from the annual belly flop from Craig, uh, really we just stay on the ground. Yes, it's amazing, it's amazing. Really, we just stay on the ground and we are good cheerleaders buttoned up as always. But towards the end of the night last week, something began to happen. All of the kids banded together and would put a specific adult in their sights, and they began to chant their name over and over again loudly. And as you can imagine, once this began to start, it started to catch on, and the adults started to join in, and with this poor soul, we watched them give up and then make their way up the high dive and jump. I watched one by one adults succumbing to this uh, encouragement slash, slash evil peer pressure, one by one, and then I heard, Rachel. Rachel, Rachel, and yes, I gave in, okay? I went coming that night, not even knowing if I was going to swim, and then making my way up the diving board and awkwardly jumping off in front of a lot of you, all because when you really break it down, because of the power of words. Proverbs 10 contrasts two kinds of talkers, the wise and the foolish. Verse 20 and 21 the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for lack of sense. Verse 31 and 32, the mouth of the righteous bring forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Solomon cuts to the heart of what this book is arguing in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It sounds on first read a bit dramatic, but we have all experienced this in one form or another in our lives. Words have built, for better or for worse, a huge part of who we are today. One of my most formative middle school memories is when my three closest friends, we had this little foursome thing going on and we did everything together and hung out and did all of the middle school girl things that you do. Well, on this one particular day, they all turned on me. They were mad about something. I don't remember the specific circumstances, but what I can remember with crystal clarity is making my way to my locker in between classes, opening it up and a letter falling out to the ground. I picked up the letter and I began to read it, and all three of them had wrote different sections in the letter telling me how awful I was, telling me about how I was no longer in the group, how much they hated me, how I didn't fit in, how I didn't measure up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I remember the feeling of panic in my stomach as I read that with everybody walking around me. I remember the way my legs went weak and wobbly, and I thought, I don't even know if I can walk. I remember the strength that it took me to get to the bathroom and into the stall before I began sobbing, and I remember how I pretended to be sick 
and went home from school that day. Whoever came up with sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a big liar, and they've never met a middle school girl. <laughs> right? Vicious. I will be 40 next year, and I still remember the deeply painful experience of that moment. It shaped me. And this is a drop in the bucket to what some kids have dealt with and or are dealing with today, bullying, both in person and through the online world. They can't get away from it, and we have seen more stories than we care to imagine of these beautiful, young lives being taken by their own hands. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Some of you, or should I say all of us, have fears and insecurities and anxieties and prejudices inside of us because of things that were spoken over us, to us, around us, with us, that helped form part of who we are today. When was the first time someone made you feel less than? When was the first time that you felt fear about something or someone that looked different than you? When was the first time that you felt self-conscious I would guess that these situations would come with it a story that holds some powerful words spoken over your life. The power of a mere phrase can send us into years of trauma and pain and hopefully counseling, working through some of that pain. And we can flip that as well. Words hurt and they also heal. One of the most painful and powerful things that I have done in counseling is to talk to young Rachel through journaling, recognizing my lack of compassion and grace for her. My therapist had me write her a letter, write the letter to the Rachel that was walking through the trauma and the pain and the bad choices that I was trying to heal from in this present moment. It was painful and hard, but very healing. Some of you had someone identify something early in your life and begin to speak to a giftedness that you have and call it out. They begin to speak life over you and into what God has placed inside of you and it's one of the major reasons that you are where you are today. They saw your gift of leadership. They heard your gift for music. They experienced your attention to detail. They felt your intentional compassion. And instead of just letting it go and letting it happen, they stopped and called it out and spoke it over you in a way that gave you new vision and new purpose for your life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. One of the phrases that kept coming up in all of my research for today in multiple articles, podcasts, sermons, and such was this powerful phrase, words create worlds. What a powerful statement, possibly accredited to Abraham Joshua Heschel, but its original quoting is a bit hard to nail down. Words create worlds, meaning words don't simply just perceive the world, capture it, and transmit it like a mirror would, but rather they have the power to a large extent create our experience of the world as if they were lenses or filters that we look through. In essence, saying this, words don't represent the world objectively, words create the world subjectively. When we open up our Bible and just start to read at the beginning, to just start where it all started, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. He created it all. It was formless and void. And as he set out to create, how did he go about this creating? 
He is God after all. He could have done any a number of things, but what does the text say? He used words. He spoke. All he had to do was speak. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Words create worlds. And as human beings made in his image, we have to recognize the power that has been given to us by God because God has entrusted us with the ability to speak, with the ability to make words and put it out into the world. And so let's go back to our text for today because as he does in his entire book, James has some powerful warnings and great wisdom for us when it comes to the power of our tongue. I'd like to break down our text into three points today, and I'm just gonna give them to you right here at the beginning, and then we'll do the work of breaking them down. Words require reverence. Words require restraint. And words reveal the heart. Number one, words require reverence. Verses one and two, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James opens up with, not many of you should become teachers, but isn't this a good and godly thing to teach about God, to teach the scriptures for the growing early church, I would imagine that it could have been beneficial to have more teachers around. More teachers would mean more churches and growth if you're just looking at it with the numbers in mind. Ephesians 4 lays out the position of teacher as one who is able to learn and discern the scriptures and teach for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. This is all good things, right? What is most likely happening here is James is addressing those in the church who are seeking after the position of teacher for the wrong reasons. The desire to teach, not for equipping of the saints, but for the glory and honor that will come to me when and if I hold that position. Teaching, not for the good of others, but for the good of my platform. That's a warning for us today, right? That's a warning for me today. It's kind of hard to be the teacher on the day that we're warning about false motives for teachers, all right? And unlike James's day, there are so many more ways to posture yourself as teacher today. You have something to say? Hop on your personal platform and teach us. Have a word? Start a podcast or jump on an Instagram live stream. You have a life experience? Self-publish a book. You wake up with a good one-liner? You better tweet that mess. Listen, none of these things are bad. As I already stated, I am actively up here teaching you now, so obviously I don't believe they are inherently bad. But what James is saying here is you better investigate those motives. You better check your heart, as they say. We better not seek the position without fully understanding and accepting the responsibility of the position. Jackie Hill Perry says it like this, the warning isn't to make you fearful, it is to make you reverent reverent to regard or treat with deep respect. This whole section of James, this whole message today is about the power of our words and what is the primary tool of a teacher? Our words. 
This warning isn't to scare everyone off from being teachers of the word. We need teachers. Some of you have a gift of being a teacher. This warning isn't to make you, to make me, or to make us stop to be fearful and to not step in, but it is to make us recognize the weight of our words. If words create worlds, then before we step out and speak a word in and under the name of Jesus, we better recognize that power and give what we have with reverence and humility. To treat the carrying and dispensing of God's word, his story of redemption with deep respect. And let him purify our motives through prayer and accountability and a continual loop of search me, Lord, and know me. Search me, Lord, and know my heart and know my motives and let your refiner's fire purify anything in me that is not of you so that when we get the opportunity to speak, when we get the platform to speak, when we step up and begin to speak words, the only glory that we care about is God's, that the platforms that we are building aren't self-serving, that our heart isn't full of pride of how we've made it and look how many people loved what I said and look how many people were changed by my words. But instead, we understand the grace that has carried us here and we understand the grace that is gonna sustain us here and that any gift we have is from the giver of all good gifts and the only glory belongs to him and him alone. And so I humbly submit everything that I have. I lay it all down as an offering because it came from you in the first place. Words require reverence. Number two, words require restraint. A horse's bit, a ship's rudder, a small fire. These are small things that carry great power. We have all seen in the news the devastating effects of fire on land and life. And these are some of the examples that James puts out there about the power of our tongue. Something so small, when out of control, when we don't have control over it, can have more control over it than us than we might think. Well, to be fair, some of you may fully be aware of the power of your tongue and you use it with precision. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but let's look a little bit deeper at what James is teaching us. Something so small as the tongue has the power like a horse's bit or a ship's rudder to shift the whole body, meaning our tongue can lead our whole body into sin. Or really, the control we have over our tongue is a very strong indication of how much control we have over the rest of us. And if that is true, then the opposite is true. If we can tame or control our tongue, we have a different kind of power over the rest of our body. James already said in verse two that if he that is able to bridle the tongue can keep the whole body in check. As I tell my teenagers when something a bit too spicy comes out of their mouth, because sometimes when you're basically as tall as mom, almost as tall as mom, and you're looking eye to eye, you tend to forget sometimes, or more like their mouth tend to, tends to forget that hey, you're the kid and I'm the mom. So I have to remind them every once in a while, go, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> James is saying here that there is an interconnectedness between our, our words and how we use them and our whole selves. What we are talking about here is self-control and it's easier said than done as we all know. Words require Restraint. Words require restraint or taming, as the text puts it. Verse seven and eight, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. 
but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It seems as though, again, we're going back to original creation intent, back to Genesis. Here we go, creation. God created all things. He created the animals. He created humans. And we as humans, as image bearers, were given dominion over the earth and over the creatures of the earth, which means we can tame, we can subdue, we can bring order to the chaos that is this world, all of those things, but this little thing in our mouths This little thing that makes words, that creates worlds, seems to never stop. It makes us say things that we regret. It betrays a friend behind her back or maybe in front of her face. It lies to make us look better than we actually are. We may be able to tame the animals, but James says no human being can tame the tongue. He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's set on fire, a fire from hell, meaning our tongues so often are linked up with the enemy and we speak out his will and his bidding into and over our situation. Yikes. This is intense, James. He don't play. Don't worry, I have some encouragement for us in just a bit, but for now we're gonna stay with the text and where the text goes because James is right We don't have to listen long to hear what the enemy sounds like. We can just listen to how we talk sometimes about our neighbors, which leads us right into our last warning about our words. Number three, words reveal our heart. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with the tongue, we curse the people made in his image. What an incredibly powerful and convicting statement. And to be honest, what a haunting description of the way we most commonly use our words in our culture today. You do not have to look far to see that there is a disconnect between our worship of God and the way we talk about those that God created, namely those we disagree with, namely those who believe differently than we do, namely those who vote differently than we do. We claim one thing, we come in this room and we sing about one thing, we amen and we take notes about one thing, but when we walk out of this space, our words give us away. Our words reveal the truth. But in reality, the way we talk about others says so much about what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about God. And so really we have to understand what is deep in our hearts as we learn what it looks like to tame our tongue. Scripture says in Luke chapter six, verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And this is the part that we all know and can probably quote, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The tongue has a way of revealing things that our hearts try to hide. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and curses. Talk about a painful examination as a parent to look at this in just a 24-hour span. 
I'm not even gonna give you an example because if you're a parent, you have a thousand examples floating around in your head of one 24-hour period, the ups and downs, the frustrations, the terror of one day, and then they go to bed. And you open up their door and you watch them sleep and you're like, Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. (laughs) And then morning comes again, all right? Can a fresh spring produce salt water? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine bear figs? Basically, what you say bears the fruit of what you actually are. This is hard stuff. I know that as I prepare, this is not something that I am preaching as something that I have down 100%. I had to repent time and time again as looking at this and preparing this. We can claim to be one thing all we want, but our words will give away our heart. Your words will bear the fruit, the kind of fruit that what tree you actually are out of the abundance of the heart. It's not enough to just grit and stay silent. I'm gonna keep my words down. We have to actually deal with the source of our words. As it is with any healing journey, we have to get to the root of what is actually going on in order to really move forward with any lasting results. Dealing with not just the symptoms, but the source of those symptoms. The work of taming the tongue takes us right into the epicenter of all that is wrong with us, namely our hearts. It reveals what we haven't rightly believed about God. It reveals broken identities inside of us. It reveals idols in our hearts. I know for me, so often, I don't even realize what I am believing until I hear it come out of my mouth. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't even realize that I was believing that, but I just said it. As it goes with trees and springs, here is the truth that we need to remember. The fruit we produce will correspond with our nature. Therefore, our words and our worship should line up as being produced from the same source. Words reveal our heart. Okay, so we know this to be true. We know that words require reverence and restraint and that they reveal our hearts. We've all experienced this in our own lives. We see it mentioned in scripture in various ways and stories over and over again. So how do we move towards examining our hearts and lining up our words and our worship? I wanna bring you back to one line sandwiched between some intense warnings from James that reveals where our hope truly lies. James says, no human being can tame the tongue. This may sound on first hearing like a hopeless line, like why would you throw that in? Why are we gonna go on this whole thing about the tongue and then no human being can tame the tongue? But actually, in fact, it's not hopeless, it's the exact opposite. Let's quickly go to Acts, shall we? Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When the Holy Spirit came and descended on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened? 
they begin to speak in other tongues. Now this is not a message on the gift of tongues, so that makes you uncomfortable and you're starting to squirm in your seat, take a sigh. My intent is not to go in deep here or to get into the weeds here, but to simply look at it at face value. The Holy Spirit empowered them and their tongues, their speech, their words to point to and give glory to God. In the same way, we need the Spirit's power so that when we open up our mouths, we point to and give glory to God and God alone. James said that no human being can tame the tongue, and that is absolutely true. We have all felt the power of this little thing in our mouths, this little bit, this rudder that's in our mouths that we seem to not be able to control. It feels out of control and that we can't contain it, and we are right, we can't. But let me encourage you, it can be tamed, it can be restrained, it can be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the many reasons why Spirit Empowered is one of our kingdom foundations here at City Church. Holy Spirit helps us, gives us power and leads and guides us always back to Jesus, illuminating him more and more, guiding us more and more to becoming more and more like him. And as we know, Jesus used his words perfectly, without fault, without sin. His words full of wisdom, truth, Kindness, rebuke when needed, forgiveness, instruction, healing, and an endless amount of other supernatural qualities. And we have that same power and that same spirit living inside of us. And he is leading us and guiding our speech to be more and more like him, to be more and more like Jesus. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, our words and our worship line up as coming from the same source, producing fruit, the evidence of obedience, if you will, the fruit that's not made by us, by our own might, by our own power, not produced by our own actions, but the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and this little word we were talking about earlier, self-control. What a relief. We can't do it on our own, but we have full access to the one who can. We stay desperate to, we stay connected to, we stay in step with the Spirit, and He will lead us to the life that can be produced with our words. Stand with me this morning. I felt it fitting this morning on a message, sermon, a teaching about our words that we take a few moments to be without words this morning and to reflect, to let Holy Spirit do what he does and lead us and guide us as we just talked about, to illuminate where our words and our worship don't line up. So if you would just close your eyes for a moment, kind of eliminate any distractions that our eyes can get lost in. We just take a few moments to do as I just said. 
to not have me speak or you speak. But just to listen to what he has to say. Holy Spirit, illuminate. Draw us. As we prepare our hearts to come to the table, let's read our table liturgy together. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burden, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with those closest to him and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you, broken for us. I will be torn apart so that you can be made whole. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood 
poured out for you as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And that is what we do each and every week here at City Church. We come to the table. We remember what Christ has done. We remember who he is. And so remember who we are in light of him. If you would bow your heads one last time, I'll invite our communion, our prayer and communion team to come and get set with the elements. God, we understand, we recognize the power that you have given us simply because you have given us the ability to speak. And Lord, I pray over our hearts today. I pray over our spirits today. I pray over our mouths today, God, that you would sanctify, you, you would purify our motives and our hearts. that you would remind us yet again to stay desperate for you, to stay connected to the Spirit because it's only by your Spirit and by your power that we can have victory over this thing. That we can tame it in such a way that our words and our worship line up. That we don't sing one thing and step out of this room and say another. And Lord, we know, we recognize that we fall short. We all fall short. And so we repent today. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Leading, guiding, comforting. And I thank you, Lord, for what we're about to step out and do, to come to the table, to remember you, to remember why it is for your glory and for your glory alone. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Anytime you're ready, you can step out to the right and make your way to the front. Let's come to the table together.